talking to people, I realized yesterday I was chatting with someone, and I realized they have such a, uh, a wrong concept of God. Did you know that God has actually numbered the hairs on your head, it says in scripture. He knows every hair on your head. Even when your hairs are falling out. He knows exactly the number. Whether he keeps the check on the color of each hair, I'm not sure. But he certainly knows the number of them, scripture tells us. And he knows everything about us and nothing passes his attention. And one thing we need to understand is that the Lord God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, is in control on earth. He hasn't given control over to the devil. And he hasn't, in any sense, abdicated his responsibilities. And he's given us responsibilities that we should fight the good fight of faith. He's given us responsibilities. Now responsibility is to go God's way. And one of the reasons people don't go God's way is they don't understand the basis of faith. They don't understand the basis of what we should do. In our lives, everything depends on one thing. And that is the word of God, which is eternal. What God says, that you must do. His word is a creative word. You know, Hamlet, Shakespeare claimed, cried out words, words, words. And he thought there was no value in them. But when God speaks, he speaks creation out of nothing. He spoke and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And when God speaks into a human heart or into a human life, Everything is transformed. Everything comes to life. When God's word comes, everything must bow to it. Now understand and get it inside of your heart that what God says is eternal and is true and will never fail. Not one word he speaks will ever fall to the ground. Not one word he sends forth will ever return to him void. It will always accomplish that which he sent it to do. God's word will do the work he intends. And that's a beautiful thing. And when God speaks to your heart, that word will do what God intends. There's no way that the word's going to fall to the ground and die. God spoke it, it shall be. It will be. Now you might say, well I don't feel it. Well that doesn't alter the fact that God said it. And it's going to be. Say, well, I don't sense it's happened. In this life, we have a terrible thing called rationalism. Everyone wants to be rational and real. They talk about, well, let's be honest. And what they mean by honesty is, we'll take things 
that are and will say, well, this is really the way it is. But the way it really is, is the way God says it is. What God says is true. And what man feels has nothing to do with it. When God speaks a word, it happens. And what our battleground is, is to begin to believe God's word and what is said, isn't it? Hmm? Well, isn't it? Hardest thing is to accept what God says. Isn't it? Now, wake up, isn't it? Are you awake? Good. I want you to listen. What God says happens. Amen? Now, are you sure? Are you sure, Peter? Oh, you are awake. Good. What God says happens, doesn't it? Are you sure? No, you over the corner there. Yeah, you hiding. Are you sure? You are. Are you going to agree with that? What God says has to happen. When Jesus spoke and he said, let there be light, what happened? There was light. And when God speaks a word to a human heart, that word has to happen. There is no sense in which it won't happen. Now what the devil tries to establish in people's lives is God's a liar. He tries to convince people that it's not true. He spends all his time tearing down the things of God and, and that's one of the works of the devil in the church. He spends all his time trying to go around and to make people dissatisfied and to make people discouraged and to bring their spirits down and to bring depression in and to tell them it's not true. At God's right hand there aren't pleasures forevermore. In his presence isn't fullness of joy because look at your life. But if you spend your time listening to the devil, you won't have pleasures forevermore. You'll have the misery and the deceit and the deception of the devil. He'll convince you so much that you'll receive his spirit, not God's. And you'll begin to believe what the devil says. And once you do that, you move outside of faith. Faith in God and you begin to have faith in the devil and faith in your rationality, and faith in what you feel, and faith in what you see, and faith in what you say is reality. And one of the problems is we have to begin to have faith in God. And faith in God, it lives in a totally different realm. It's a wonderful realm. It's a realm that is outside of the natural man. It's a realm that takes me up and into heaven and declares things to me and I know them to be true and I know that nothing will stop it happening. And that's a wonderful thing. And it's all based on the living word of God that comes to a human heart. When God spoke to me, Life came, reality came, and I knew. 
Now nothing's ever changed that. 22 years ago, God spoke to me. I heard his voice. I knew it was God. And that was the end of everything. It changed my whole life. And God wants to speak into human hearts and wants to speak his word. And people don't want to receive his word. If you're in a state of depression or you're in a state of fear, you're in a state of doubt, it's because you've sided with the devil. You believe all his lies. And you have more faith in the lies of the devil than you do in the truth of God. In our minds, there's often a conflict, isn't there? You begin to think things. It's called thinking things through. I don't know what you want to think them through, a fog. Most people's minds are pretty woolly. And most people are pretty stupid. Now, I don't try and reason and rationalize everything and work everything out. Because I find that spiritual things aren't rational, are they? There's no rationality. In spirit things, it's just God said it and that's it. I don't ever sit down and, and work out great theories or great doctrines. I, I, firstly, I don't have the mentality for it. And secondly, I don't have the energy for it. And thirdly, I probably couldn't do it if I tried. So I just believe God when he speaks. My mind doesn't go round in circles and I'm not trying to work out whether this is so or that's so or whether it should be this or it should be that. If God tells me, I know, and if he doesn't tell me, well, I'll find out when he does. I don't seek to uh, ever go beyond what God's shown me. You've got to move according to the measure of your faith. And if your faith's only... So far, that's fine. Just go so far and you can live with great joy in that so far as you've gone. Don't try and reach for something you haven't got. You just accept what God has said and you rejoice in that and you live in that. And as you live in that, God will give you more and then more and then more. And we increase in faith as God speaks to the heart. And everything in our lives must always be based on what God said. Now that doesn't mean that I can take my Bible and claim every promise and say, well, God spoke it to me because there's times when the Holy Ghost will quicken things to my heart and then that word becomes living for me. That becomes part of my life. But up to the point that it's quickened by the Holy Ghost, it's just a book. Many people take the promises of God and they say, well, this applies to me. Well, it doesn't until you're born of God's Spirit, until God quickens that word to your heart, until that word becomes living in you. It's just words. But if you begin to open the Bible and you begin to pray and ask God to quicken words to you, he will. And then they'll become part of your life. Man not shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I need to have the mouth of God speak that creative word into my heart. And when he does that, it works. I find it wonderful. I find it real. I find it creative. I remember, it, you know, it was strange, but this afternoon I thought I'd have a little sleep. You know, now lay me down to rest. Uh, so I went upstairs and I thought, I'm tired, so I'll sleep. 
Uh, it's a good thing to do when you're tired sleep. And I, I dreamed. And God spoke to me because he often speaks to me in dreams. I suppose that's because having the kind of mind I have that doesn't really have much thought going on upstairs until I get disconnected and then I get away and into God and I begin to dream and I see things very clearly and everything becomes clear to me and I wake up and the dream's still very much with me and what God's spoken to me is still very much there and I find it a very simple thing it's not complicated and my relationship with God has never been complicated when I was first converted God said if I gave everything he'd provide and I've taken him literally and I believe him and the church is here because I believe that word he spoke 22 years ago he's never failed the word won't ever drop to the ground God will always be faithful has to be because he said it and that word was a creative word now he never told me how he'd provide and I've never asked him sometimes it's better not to know isn't it nosy people get themselves in bother do you know if you try and rationalize and reason things out how's this going to happen how's that going to happen is this right is that right you get into awful bother but I don't ever bother about that God said he'd do it so I accept he'll do it now it's up to him how he does it but he, he'll keep his word and we often we, we become a, so rational we like to work things out how's God going to do this how's God going to do that when I pray for the sick I don't know how he's going to heal them I really don't but one thing I do know when he tells me to go and pray for someone that sickness is going to go how it's going to go whether it goes through their head or their feet I don't care whether it jumps out of their back whether an angel comes with a sword in the spiritual realm and chops out the cancer I don't know but I know it goes I know that when God speaks a word it has to happen I remember uh, in Atlanta the woman she went back to the doctor and the doctor said he'd fused a wrist he said you can't move it and she said can't I and just did that did um, whatever her name is Candy and the doctor rushed her down to x-ray and he brought her back and he said but you can't she said I know I can't and he said but I fused the bones together she said yeah and she could do it now you see you don't have to reason it out she could run she could walk she could jump that's because God did it now how did he do it when you start looking at the mechanics and you try and work out how God does something then you end up in unbelief One of the greatest things of unbelief is to rationalize everything and to reason it out and to have an explanation for it. Now, the wise man lives by faith, not by sight. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. And all our walk and all our life has got to be by faith. I don't know how everything happens, but what I do know is when God said it, that's it. 
I don't rationalize, I don't argue, I don't get depressed about it, I don't reason it out, I don't spend hours working over the Bible, looking up the Greek, looking up the Hebrew and trying to work out the nuts, the bolts, the scaffolding. Who cares? I don't. I'm not saying that sometimes it's not useful to know different Greek words and Hebrew words. I sometimes do look them up if God leads me to, otherwise I mind my own business. I don't need to know how it works. I learned years ago a secret when I went selling. I had an old man, I'll tell you his Christian name was Harry. He was an old fella, bless him. And he was 50, about 55 I think, or 56. Suffered from heart trouble. And... You know, archery's going hard and everything. I remember I'd walk down the road in Liverpool, sometimes down Islington, and he'd park the car and he'd walk up the road, and if it was a windy day and cold, suddenly he'd start, ah, ah, and he'd get a bottle of pills out and take one and stick it under his tongue, and he'd be all right after a minute or two. I remember one day I was going out, I had to go somewhere, and his wife had made some some apple pie and he was leaning over in the car he'd only got two doors on his car so he was leaning over to put them on the back seat and as he leaned over suddenly he staggered back and went oh oh like that and I said I said as quick as a flash I said Harry Harry I said don't die you haven't taught me the job yet <laughs> he got most offended he cracked a rib actually over the edge of the chair I had to take him to hospital uh, but he never forgot that You've got to have a sense of humor. He didn't. Not over that. But I, I remember going in one day, and these people, I invited them to come for a demonstration. I saw printing machines, and, and they, they came in. Harry went mad. But you can't sell that machine. You don't know how it works. You don't know how it works. You don't know anything about it. It's dishonorable to sell the machine. And so that morning he came up and he looked over my desk and he said, what have you got there? And I said, order forms. He said, what for? I said, the machine these people are going to buy this afternoon. He went pale. He said, what do you mean? I said, I've, I've filled in the order forms. He said, but you can't do that. They, they, you don't even know whether they'll want it. I said, they'll want it when I've sold it to them. He said, for goodness sake, he said, that's immoral. Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even know how to turn the machine on. I didn't know where the on-off switch was. But I knew something else. I got a demonstrator, and I, so I told these people, whatever you want to do, bring it in, and I'll show you how the machine will cope. So they came in, and there I was, and I took what they said, and I said, now, if you... See that this machine will do what you want it to do. Are you prepared to sign the order today? And they said, oh, yes, yeah, if it'll do what I want it to do. Now, are you sure about that? They said, oh, yes, I'm sure about that. So I said, all right, now I'm going to show you it works. So I got the demonstrator said, put those through and show. The quality of it, the reproduction was fantastic. They said so. I said, well, that's fine. Thank you very much. Um, and I 
moved over to the top of the machine and I took a little folder off and I opened it up and I said, well, you sign there and there. And the chap looked at me and he said, but we've only been here five minutes. I said, well, you said you'd sign if it did what you wanted it to do. He said, yeah. I said, right, there and there. And I took out my pen and opened it, stuck the top on it and gave it to him. And he kind of gingerly took it and stood for about two minutes and I'd said not a word. And his hand began to wobble a bit. And then he signed it, both places, and I turned it over and said, I want another signature there. And he signed it there. And I said, now, come on, we've done all that. Let's go and sit down and have a cup of tea. And he said, oh, he said, I think I need one. <laughs> So I took him in, and we sat down and had a cup of tea. After 15 minutes, I walk upstairs into the sales office, and I kind of threw the order. It was for a 9,000-pound machine. In those days, that was a few bob. And I, I threw it onto the thing, and I said, there you are, process that to the secretary. Went bananas. When I went up, he said, you got the order signed. You can't do that. Did you show them how it worked? I said, no, I didn't, Harry. He said, but why not? He said, they have to know. You can't sell things to people. I said, tell me this, Harry. Do you know how your car works? He said, well, no. I said, can you explain every nut and bolt to me? He said, no. And I said, then why did you buy it? And he said, well, because I needed it. I said, no, why did you buy it? I said, wasn't it because you liked what it did? It drove you smoothly. It was the thing you wanted. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, there you are. You don't need to know everything about it to use a car, do you? And he said, well, I suppose not. I said, and they don't want to know how the machine works, for goodness sake. We've got mechanics to fix it. What they wanted to know is what it would do. And I learned a secret. People don't buy something because of what it is. They buy it for what it will do for them. And in faith, we take a totally opposite attitude from reality. We try and work it all out before we'll believe what it'll do. We try and understand all the nuts and bolts and we think if only I can come to a good understanding of it, then I'll understand and I'll be able to appropriate it. But frankly, when I got saved, I had no clue. I didn't understand the doctrine of it. Did you? How many here, when they got saved, understood all about Christianity? Hmm? How many of you didn't understand? Put up your hand. Now, isn't that true? Now, what did you do? Someone told you that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Someone told you he rose again from the dead. Someone told you he'd forgive all your sins and blot it out. And what did you do? Hmm? Just believed. Somehow in your heart you knew it was so, didn't you? Now it didn't take nuts and bolts to work it out, did it? If you were a nut, you bolted from the person who was telling you. But if you stayed around and listened to it and you said, well, that's all right, I believe that, then what happened? Well, what happened? You got saved. And that was the end of it, wasn't it? But when we go on in the Christian walk, 
We want to have an explanation for everything. We come away from the simplicity which is in Christ. And we come away from the ease of walk and the walk of faith and the life of faith and we suddenly become all complicated. We want to know how does this work, how does that work. Well, frankly, I don't know. All I know is it works. And I don't care how it works. I just care that that's what God's going to do in my life. I can't tell you how he heals the sick, but I know when I lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. I don't know how he saves, but I know he saves. I don't know how he forgives me, but I know I'm forgiven. I don't know how he cleanses me, but I know he does. I don't know how he creates heaven and earth, but I know he did. I don't know how he keeps someone, but I know he does. I don't know how he can take care of every minute detail in my life, but I know he does. I don't know how he can spend his time overseeing you and you and you and me. And every moment of every day he sees us and he cares for us. And he orders all things after the counsel of his own will. And I can't explain it and I don't want to. I don't try and rationalize it. I don't try and reason it out. I don't know why he brings some things into some people's lives and some things into other people's lives. I don't care. All I know is I have a loving Heavenly Father who meets every need, who loves us, who cares for us, and who will bestow on us abundant blessing, and that's all I care about. And my whole life is based on a simplicity. And I don't rationalize, I don't reason it out, I don't think it out, I don't try to. Believe it or not, when I go home and I leave you, I don't sit at home wondering why this happened in your life, wondering why you're such an awkward cuss, or wondering why you've never done this, or why you've never done that, or why, uh, you know, some people get moody, or why some people do this, or why... Some... I, I just go home and I forget. I don't sit down all day wondering, you know, Lord... What's going to happen to this person? Oh dear, that person's in a mess. I don't wonder about it. My wife does. I don't. I leave her to do the worrying. That's why you get married. You have a wife to worry for you. Now, sometimes she wakes me up and leaves me awake, but I still don't worry about it. I don't, because, you see, I know it's all in his hands, and I know whatever he orders is going to be fine. Amen? And when you come to that simplicity, look, if you need healing, you don't need to work out how or why or all the reasons. You'll get depressed if you try. You just believe God. You have to come to that simplicity of saying, well, Lord, you said it, that's it. I don't rationalize things out. I don't see we need to, do you? Hmm? Now, how many people sit down, mutter, 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 murmur, 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 grumble, grumble, grumble. I can't understand why God did this. I can't understand why God did that. I can't. I don't care. I really don't care. Because any conclusion I come to will probably be wrong. I don't know. 
But what I do know is there's a loving Heavenly Father who takes care of everything, loves me abundantly, blesses me abundantly, he's going to keep me abundantly, and it's up to him what he does. Amen? So whose responsibility is your life? Whose? Whose? Well, what you worrying? What you bothered about? You give everything over to him and you say, Well, Lord, look, I, I'm too simple a soul for this. In the multitude of words, they wanted not sin. And some people spend all their time sinning by grumbling. Do you know the people that were cursed in Israel were the murmurers? People who murmur, 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 grumble, grumble, grumble. God curses them. He burnt them up with unquenchable fire all around the edge of the camp. Did you know that? God hates people who do that type of thing because they destroy faith. I don't need people around me who've got that kind of attitude. Thank you very much. I've got faith in God. I don't know how he's going to do it all. I know I've got a responsibility to do what he says and that's the end of it. And after that, he better take care of it because I can't. I've often wondered when I've prayed for the sick, what if nothing happens, Lord? And then I've thought to myself, what if nothing happens? What business is that of mine? It's his. Old devil will put any old thing in your mind and say, well, what about this? What about that? Well, I don't know, frankly. I haven't got a clue. What we say doesn't count. It's when God puts his energy behind it. That's when it happens. And when the Holy Ghost quickens the word to a heart, then that word will happen. Has to. That's the end of it. Don't rationalize it. Don't reason it. Don't try. I remember a man saying to me once, he gave God all the credit for success and then let him take the responsibility for the failures. If you take the credit for successes, then you have to take the responsibility for the failures. But if you give everything over to God and say, well, what's good in my life came from you, You can leave him to work out the rest. Can't you? Hmm? Isn't that a simpler way to live? Some of you need to put your brains out of gear. And some of you, you need to engage your brains before you open your mouth. Because actually speaking against God's a dangerous thing. Saying things to the Lord and blaspheming his name and taking his name and blaming him is a deadly thing to do. People do it, and they do it because they want to tell God what to do. But to me, whatever he does is fine by me. It's great, you know. Isn't it? Learn some hard lessons along the path, don't you? Hmm? Isn't it lovely and easy? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. thing is, that what God considers easy and what I consider easy might be different. But that doesn't alter the fact. I want to just tell you a little story. There was a man years ago 
he was uh, when he was seven Nelson won the Battle of Trafalgar and became the hero of the whole of the country Nelson did I don't know if it's because he looked through the wrong eye with a telescope or looked through the telescope should I say with the wrong eye uh, the blind eye and said he saw no ships and, and just went on or whether it's um, because of uh, his famous last words kiss me hardy I wouldn't have wanted hardy to kiss me but there you are if I was departing a life but whatever it is, you know, Nelson became famous. And this young lad, he, he got a desire to be as brave and as famous as Nelson. One day his mother came into his room and found him sleeping on the boards of the floor because he wanted to toughen himself up so he'd become strong. And at 15 he went over, he joined the Navy and he went out to sea. And at 20 he was promoted to lieutenant because of his bravery. Lieutenant is here, isn't it? Yeah. Um, because of his bravery and his his courage and he was allowed to take a ship home that he captured and he became famous and at 25 he was he was a terrible man he he lived in sin and he'd gone into wantonness and all sorts of things and there he was out in a, a place miles from anywhere and uh, from his home and his mother had died when he was 15 and so all the influence good influence and holy influence had passed from his life and he found the shackles and the chains came off and he was free to go and live his life and while he was doing that he got a letter from his father who was very distressed about the way he was living he was on the HMS Leander if you want to know and he was out there and his father wrote him a rude letter telling him how disappointed he was in him everything but strangely enough there was an old lady who had known his mother well who wrote a letter to him and she wrote this letter and she was concerned uh, that he wouldn't think she was just a religious crank. Here was this young Navy lieutenant at 25 who was bold as brass, got medals for courage and everything. So she wrote this letter to him and she started it very apologetically. And she didn't want to seem censorious or, or critical of him uh, in, a, in a negative way. Um, but for she wrote for her, his mother's sake would he kindly read the letter all the way through and just pay attention to what she had to say because she felt that she really wanted to, on her mother, his mother's behalf say something so he sat down having read that bit and read the letter carefully and she warned him in the letter of the deadening consequences of sin and she reminded him that Jesus Christ came and died to save people from their sin. And she said to him, you know, what you need above all else is a new heart.
and I'll just read a bit of the letter. She says, remember, this is not my phrase. It is the very word of Scripture. Unless we have this new heart, this clean heart, this heart of flesh given in exchange for a heart of stone, we cannot believe effectually. Unless we have a new heart, we can't believe. She quotes from David, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And from Ezekiel, a new heart also will I give you. And so she goes on in her letter. And then she continues, You will perhaps ask how this new heart can be obtained. It is the gift of God exclusively. None but he can create it. The letter throbs with a note of urgency. Nothing that is unholy or impure can enter heaven. The change spoken of by the Savior, you must be born again, must take place while we live. For as we are found in death, we shall forever be. There is no repentance in the grave, nor pardon offered to the dead. It is probable, dear Alan, that you and I will never meet again on earth. And if not, let me hope that we shall meet in that place where all must hope to be, clothed in the Savior's perfect righteousness. said, I don't know I'll ever meet you again on earth. And this old woman penned that letter to that man. And he sat down at 25 and he read it and he reread it. Until the idea of a new heart as a gift of God began to haunt him and haunt him. And he went out to a bookshop in, in uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the place. It's over in, in India, East India. And he went out and he saw this bookshop and there were people in it and he wanted to buy a Bible to look up these scriptures in Ezekiel 36. And he didn't go in because there were other people in the shop and he was in his Navy uniform and he thought, what will anyone think if they see a lieutenant in the Navy, walking in and buying a Bible. So he went away and he came back a bit later and he looked in the shop and there were still people in there. And so he walked off again, came back a third time and it was empty. So he raced in, he got his money out and he said, I want a Bible, quick. And he paid for it and he got it wrapped up and he rushed away. And he felt embarrassed. He thought, now whatever will the shopkeeper think of someone in the Navy buying a Bible? And he went and he began to read and God met him. Changed his heart. Changed his life. His name, as you probably all realize, was Alan Gardner. He never spoke about the years between 15 and 25 and what he did after that. He forgot it. But God met him. Because the word of God pierced his heart. That old woman wrote a letter. And that word, a new heart also will I give you. And the prayer of David, creating me a clean heart, went like a sword through his heart. Until his whole life changed. In the end, as you know, he laid down his life for the gospel's sake. He went where no other people dared to go. Once he was brave in the navy, then he went off. And he always went to way out places where there were wild tribes. And he felt he wanted to preach the cross in places where no one else would dare go. 
And in the end it cost him his life. But there was a simple old lady who had heard from God and who wrote those words and those words pierced the heart. And truthfully, he couldn't explain it and she didn't try to explain it. When she said, how can this new heart be obtained? It is the gift of God exclusively. None but he can create it. And in truth, everything we have is from God and he creates it, he does it, and I can't explain it. It's a word, and that word, when it becomes living, becomes real for you. And if he doesn't make it real for you, nothing will make it real for you. It's a gift of God. Listen to another word. You can look it up yourself. It's in Isaiah 44, verse 22. In Isaiah 44, Isaiah 44, verse 22. This is God's word to Judah. He said, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Anyone notice anything strange about it? Past tense. What's past tense? God says, I'll read it again, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me for I have redeemed thee. Do you notice anything? What do you notice? Huh? He's blotted it out before, before they've seen it. Absolutely true. God's saying to these people, he's saying, look, I've blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions. He then goes on to say, and as a cloud thy sins. And then he asks them, because he's done that, he says, you return to me because I have redeemed you. In other words, God has already done what so often we're asking him to do. I hear a lot of people begging God, please Lord, forgive me for this, forgive me for that, and they get into terrible state. But God was saying to Judah, look, you return to me, I've already done that. I've blotted out your sin as a thick cloud, I've blotted out your transgression, now to return to me because I have redeemed you already. And most people can't come to God and don't open their hearts to God because they have a problem with their lives. And they say, well, when I get my life sorted out, then I can come. 
When I get my life right, then I can respond. But at the moment, there's this, there's that, there's the other. God says, oh no, I've blotted it out, now come to me. In other words, God says, look, you don't have to take care of your sin, I've taken care of it. You don't have to take care of the mess in your life, I've already done it. You don't have to wait till you are redeemed, I've already redeemed you, now return. Now the devil tries to convince us, oh no, you're not redeemed until you put this right, that right and the other right and you better stay away because there's this, this and this and this, that's all wrong and God hasn't redeemed you yet because of this, this and this in your life and, and you go down and you say, well that's true but God says it's the other way around, friend. God says, look, I've already blotted out your sin as a thick cloud he said, I have redeemed you. Now, because that's true, return. Now, isn't that a better way round? Hmm? How many of you spend your time trying to get your heart right so you can approach God? Huh? Well, it's far easier just to return, you know. Far easier just to accept that God's already done it. Instead of coming with that terrible hangover and saying, Oh God, you know, here I come again. Yeah. Now, I, I, I'll not feel so bad if please forgive me for this, forgive me for that. Oh dear, I'm under the weight of this. I, I need you to redeem me from that. Why don't you come with a joyful step and say, Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you that you've already blotted out my sin as a thick cloud. Thank you that you've dealt with things. Thank you that you've redeemed me. I'm going to return to you. You've been so good. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. God's done it all. God's already done it all. And we need to come on a basis of thank you. Judah got a surprise. Look, it goes on. Sing, O oh, ye heavens, for the Lord. For the Lord. For the Lord. The Lord has done what? Redeem me. What's he done to my sin? He's blotted it out. Now, stand up. Hold your Bible. Stand up. Come on, all of you, stand up. Look down at your Bible. Isaiah 44, verse 22. Read it out. What has God done? When? 2,000 years ago. Amen? And what has the Lord done? He's done it. Hasn't he? Let's read on. Don't sit down. 
Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout! Hey, just a minute. Got to say it with expression. Shout! It's about time you shouted. When you say, hey, what am I living under condemnation for? What am I living under fear for? This is the word of God that's got to get in your heart. It's living. God says, I've blotted it out of the thick cloud, all your sin, all your transgression, all your past. You say, well, I don't feel it. Well, if you ever go up in the clouds, you'll find you can't feel them. They're just mucky, clammy. Don't mess about trying to feel them. And don't mess about trying to feel things. Believe. Believe what God says. He says, shout, O ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains. O forest and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer. And he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, and turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolishness, that confirmeth the word of his servant, and performeth the counsel of his messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited unto the cities of Judah, you shall be built. And I will raise up the decayed places thereof. Thus saith to the deep, that saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. Isn't that wonderful? God says, I say it, and it's done. Now what's he done to your sin? What's he done? Now what is your sin? Where is it? Gone. 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 Where's it gone? Gone. Where? How? God did it. Amen. Now what he says to you is, I want you to turn and return because it's done. Now isn't that easy? Isn't it wonderful that God's done it all? Do you believe what he says? Glory to God. And isn't the devil a liar? Aren't the thoughts of your mind lies? And isn't the devil an old, artful, smutty-faced idiot? Yeah. But he's smarter than you are. You're all asses. All you do is go eon to every one of his accusations, don't you? God says I've done it. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? My sin, all the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. It's all done. 
And one of the things that Christians get caught on is they spend all their time trying to become something and trying to believe something that God's already done. God says, look, sing all your heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout! In lower parts of the earth, God's done it. And what you need to do is begin to realize that it's already done and all you have to do is return. Your deliverance is done in him. Your healing's done in him. Everything's done in him. It's done. Your sin is a thick cloud. That shows you that he knows how bad you are. He knows the desperate wickedness of you and he says it was like a thick black cloud. Have you ever watched a thunderstorm when thick clouds come? Black, that was you. And he says, I've blotted it out. There's going to be sunshine. Amen? Who does it apply to? Me. And Judah is the people of praise. The people who learn to praise God and love God. He says, now you just return. That's it. I did it. Now because I did it, you can return. That's the only reason you can come back to me. Because I've already done it. Because God is the glorious deliverer, you can come back. Simple as that. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Takes away the strain, doesn't it? Hmm? You're not returning and groaning and saying, Oh God, oh God. God's saying, look, I've done it. That's the end of it. It's all done. Like a black cloud. The black cloud, all God. I've done it. The Lord has done it. Amen? Read it out again. Verse 22. And again. Isn't that wonderful? Hmm? Isn't that wonderful to know? Amen? Now, how many of you believe it? I believe it. Oh, I can believe this. It's nice to believe that, isn't it? Huh? Glory to God. Now you're to shout lower part of the earth. I don't know what lower part of the earth you are, but it says we're to shout. We're to let forth a joy. It says return to me. All right, sit down. There you are. You can sit down now. Isn't that wonderful? Now that's God's word. He says, I've blotted it out. Now how many of you came here tonight and you were condemned in your heart when you came and you tried to get things going? You were condemned. Put up your hands. Come on, admit it. Now, what's happened to your condemnation? Gone. Yeah, that's right. What's happened to your fears? Are you redeemed? 
It's as simple as that, isn't it? Hmm? Isn't it? God said he'd done it. Now what have you got to do? Shout and return. You know there's a sense in which people become too religious. You feel that you've got to feel something, you've got to know something. But that doesn't alter the fact God's done it. And what God's done's done. You say, well, my life, it's a mess. Well, that didn't alter God calling Judah back. Judah had lived in sin. They'd done awful things. God says, look, you return to me because I've already redeemed you. I've already blotted out your sin like a thick cloud. It's all done. And when Christ calls someone, he says to them, look, your sin isn't the problem. It's already been dealt with. Your transgression isn't the problem. The problem is that you don't believe on the Son of God and what he's done. That's the only problem. You won't accept what he's done. That's why the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to convince the world of sin, of righteousness, judgment. Of sin because they believe not on him whom thou hast sent. That's what the Holy Ghost comes to do. Convince a man what you aren't believing is what God says. And that word, once you believe it, you find it works in your life. It liberates you. It's a liberating word. God says, I've already blotted out your transgression. That's the end of it. Amen? Isn't that easy? Hmm? You don't have to name it and claim it. God's done it. That's the difference. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that's true. We thank you for that wonderful word of life. You said you'd blotted out our sin as a thick cloud. You've redeemed us. You've saved us. Lord, so often the devil and the enemy and our minds and our hearts would tell us something different. But your word's true. Your word's real. Your word is glorious. Lord, let it rise up in every heart. Let there come a realization that your salvation's real. Lord, your healing's real. Your deliverance is real. Lord, we can come in and press through because it's true. It's real. It's real. Then I know that I am.
know that I am. I'm saved. I know I am. Why do I know? Because God says he's redeemed me. What's happened to my sin? Well, he's blotted out my transgression as a thick cloud. Now start believing God. You can sing it with faith in your heart. I'm saved and I know that I am. It's true. I'm saved. in your being, you lower part of the earth, let it rise up. I'm saved and I know that I am. Let it spring forth in your heart. Let the joy and the realization of it. Your sin has been blotted out like a thick cloud and God says I've redeemed you. Now just return. Now you return with rejoicing, you return with a dance, a shout and a singing and a realization that God has done it not anything you've done it's grace he blotted out your sin not because of what you did not because you felt you were sorry but Jesus redeemed you I'm saved I don't know that I am
Yeah.